Sit back in your seats, get something to eat, and watch this movie. Don't let the kitty see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the, the, the um, video first. Thank you. All right, well, we'll get into the conversation this week on Left of the Projector, talking about the 2019 Safdie Brothers film, Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Lakeith Stanfield, and uh, a bunch of other great pieces to this movie. And with me to discuss this uh, high blood pressure-inducing film, I have uh, Andre from Left Up Orders and uh, Mac hey. Brisbane from uh, Chapo Drapos. Hey, thank you for having me. You, you've expressed your love of this movie, Matt. So what do, what do you have, like, uh, what would you say is, like, your overall, I guess, impression and sort of what makes this movie so good in your mind? I mean, it's going to always be hard for me to disentangle the film from the fact that it was kind of the last movie I saw in a theater before uh, COVID-19 hit. Oh, man. And so, like, the whole arc of the film does really feel like the arc of everything leading up to that moment and with the same uh result so uh that's uh that's just like the personal reason that uh it resonates that with hits me. You. yeah but in addition to that what i really appreciate is you know it's not just a, a a gripping film that's also very funny which is always a good combo when you're tense but laughing that's a good way to way to be invested in a film uh i appreciate the movie's sort of uh I guess spiritual dimension, the way that it uh, understands like the character sort of as an uh, an unwitting mystic. I think that's neat. You don't see that too much. What do you mean by by mystic? Well, I, the, the, in, in, the way I read it anyway, like uh, Howie's pursuit in the movie is not of winning the money uh, by itself, like having a big uh, score, you know, doing mm-hmm. doing. Get, getting out from under and all that stuff. It is specifically the exact events as they transpire with the mm-hmm. with the uh, victory, the winning of the bet, and then immediately after that being killed. Because I mean, the movie starts with you know he's getting a, a colonoscopy, and about a third of the way through, he gets the phone call telling him that he doesn't have anything wrong with him, and he's very relieved. But you know. It's, it's there to remind you that, you know, he's going to uh, decline and fall like we all are, uh, and that uh, his his mind, his his wiring cannot really conceive of that sort of decline where, where the things that make like living uh, are, are taken from him. And so what better way to uh, exit life than having reach the full that, summit of yeah. your entire desire and vindication of every decision you made until then, and then never have to deal with the inevitable decline. Because you imagine, well, what if he goes, he, what if he hadn't been killed? Oh, he goes to uh, the, uh, the Bahamas with Julia Fox for a couple of weeks, and then she like breaks up with him, and he spends like half the money on uh, uh, debts that he owes other people and the remainder he's absolutely going to blow and then uh lose in other bets and he'll never have another win like that you just don't like it's just impossible to imagine ever getting that experience again so if there's nothing but decline coming after that then the time to go out is at the precise apogee and that makes him a mystic like he's you know in the kabbalistic tradition within judaism of, of you know using numbers in this case the numbers associated with gambling and, and sports to break open the world and like re- uh, reveal its secrets and make it uh bend to your will which is exactly what he does well it's, i think it even adds to the fact that the actual like the gem that he receives that you know he gives to kevin garnett briefly to unlock sort of his own like abilities as on the court it's sort of like this gem also is like has like a mystic property to it so i can see yeah. how that plays into it yeah like he's he's recognized that he has access to a yeah. a, a charged item a, a a real uh artifact and and you know when you have something like that you gotta you gotta make it count you gotta put it to ultimate use which is exactly what he does yeah what do you what do you make of well you don't have to well, go ahead Andre. 
Well, now now everything I think about the film just sounds tawdry and stupid com- by comparison. <laughs> so thanks thanks for that, Matt. I, oh. I appreciate you making me oh, look no. like an asshole. <laughs> no. no. No, no, Um, From from my perspective, at least, um, I could recognize the, um, the addiction aspect of, of, of always going after the chase. And it's, it's never, it's never enough. I mean, gambling is a lot different than alcoholism, but you recognize that it's never enough. And then the next time you're, you're going to chase that, the feeling you had the first time that you felt good drinking. And like, like with, with, with the gambling, you're always chasing that one payout that's going to always hit that special way. But um, yeah, I, I saw him as a mystic too. Yeah, you told me that right before, right? Right, Andre? No. Stole my lines, word for word. <laughs> Thanks. Well, what, one of the things that I think of, like the, what part of what makes this movie so good, aside from just like the blood pumping nature of like the plot, like the, the like the view, like the actual visual itself is like kind of grainy you know the way like the picture seems to like hit you and it, like you feel like you're almost constantly moving with howie throughout the entire movie like you're not you're sitting still watching this movie but it feels like you're actually like moving through like time and space of this film and it's like uh you're almost on like the never-ending pursuit with him like where you you kind of feel like you know where this movie's headed the first time you see it but you like hope he's gonna score and then like you know like you said Matt like even if he had won and not been killed like what's really his he doesn't really have like a next yeah his story's over uh, yeah it, like it, yeah no I was just gonna say the the sheer mania of the movie where where there's there's this protagonist who's like not really someone you would normally root for but it, it also shows you know he's a caring father you know he he loves his kids. He's he's doing right by people around him, but he's he also has this itch that he can't scratch. And then the just the people around him, like in the coffee sh- in the um pawn shop, where it's just sheer mania. And then he can escape to his office for like everything slows down, where he can plot and do his gambling and everything, his haven. But then he goes back out into the world, and it's just pure mania starting all over again. I I, I that's that was my physical takeaway from it. Yeah. And the, the other thing too, that just purely from like the kind of the going through like the plot of the movie is you look at like his life of having this diamond shop and he owes, you know, money to multiple people. Like from the first few minutes of the movie, you already see there's people he owes money to. And he clearly also has seemingly money. He has an apartment in the city. He has his, you know, his family who presumably is going to be divorcing or his wife wants to divorce him. So he's somehow made like some success out of this job. And it almost seems that almost seems like the most unrealistic thing that he's actually had success in this when everything seems to just be like an utter failure of, of just compounding problems of his life. Well, yeah, but it's like, you know, it's it's life is a permanent emergency, which is uh, basically how the United States and the the world functions at this point, which is another thing that makes the movie kind of resonant outside of its text. But also, you know, that's that's how uh, most people are. A lot of people who uh, have like outward signs of basic success and ability to function in a society uh, are behind the scenes completely uh, ruined, and their decisions are terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of it is because you know, if you're a old, if you're a whole uh, own something, if you're a business owner, for example. Uh, you know, it's 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 alarmingly easy to keep going, even in the face of like you know manifest incompetence or weakness. If anyone's ever seen Bar Rescue, I mean, it'll tell you what it seems like the average small business owner is like in this country. Uh, and yet, you know, the small businesses for the most they they keep going. You know, they keep moving along. You know, there's a you get a you get you hit community chest enough times, and and then you get a PPP loan that you don't have to yeah. pay back and. You know, you can keep going yep. for years, but eventually, you know, the reckoning will come in one form or another, unless you can escape that. If you let, unless you can escape that that fate, which by is how marking, by making your own end and, right. and ending your own story on your own terms, which is and that's know, how that's how Howard escaped at the end. Yeah, you know, the the only logical way he could. Well, I think that's a good point, Matt. Like one of the other, like the subtext of the movie is where you could look at it in like a a real sense of just like the 
like the like the fugazi of like capitalism being just scheme after scheme on itself and then you know eventually having a crash that causes mass destruction and then it gets propped up again it's just like a you know it feels like nothing is even real like in our own system you have stock markets and bond you know all, all this stuff that just kind of is it exists but like not really it's kind of just there to generate wealth and is yeah it's probably like media on the other end of it yeah we're frantically just uh improvising i, I think that's the only way to understand uh uh like the the modern uh moment the, what what modern capitalism looks like and if, and to to you know people are always arguing about the uh about the difference between mid-century american capitalism and what we have now like how does neoliberalism actually uh uh d- differ and there's a number of reasons most of them have to do with how the institutions that surround capitalism decay over time and are no longer able to uh, intervene in capitalism's self-destructive dictate. Uh, but because of that, the one thing that I think most distinguishes those two eras is planning and improvisation. Like, and and I think a lot of our uh, honestly, a lot of our confusion about the current political moment and a thing that I think uh, manifests itself so much in a compulsive need to uh, create a conspiracy narrative around every event is that we live in century we live in institutions that we have inherited from that era the mid-century keynesian planning era and so we kind of assume that they operate under the same uh logics that they had before tip namely like long-term planning you know uh and i think that the reality is that uh we've run out of runway and it is everything is just keeping the lights on for one more day at every level within po- politics and um, uh, corporate industry. Corporate yeah, planning, it's all, yeah. Everyone is just trying to stay one step ahead of the hangman. And, everything's, uh, everything's quarter by quarter now. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, make it through one quarter and, you know, you can just push the kick the can down the road and exactly yeah. someone else is going to fix the problem. If Biden leaves office, whatever, he, it doesn't matter what happens after that. Some other Trump or some other person's yeah. going to come in. and Another Biden will take over. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The blue man, you're not, man. If you're not holding the potato when the music stops. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. It's like you, you get you get blamed for everything. And this like the I think that's what I, I don't know that that was sort of like the intention behind uh the movie itself and i just think that it the the allegory is pretty almost one-to-one it's just very much you know the i think back to like the 2009 crash and then you know the COVID crash bringing it back to when you saw this movie in the theater it's no one knew what they were going to do like the this something comes crashing down and they're just they're just grasping at straws trying to like yeah. keep the thing propped up it's like they, a little they, yeah. yeah they still don't I mean, that COVID really highlighted um, deficiencies in in our system and that nobody knew, nobody knew how to plan because we we eroded every, every system of planning in our government. So no one knew what to do when there was this mass emergency. Yeah. And and now people reacted to the, the, really puzzling uh frantic actions of government in the in the aftermath of that and they felt this they've been compelled to orchestrate a narrative out of it where it had to be being carrying out someone's agenda right like it it, it this is too nonsensical and uh, counter uh, 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 and self-defeating to be something that uh that isn't designed to do a nefarious end when in reality is no, this is what it looks like when everyone is just running around, like their hair on fire and trying to prevent uh, them specifically from being ejected out of whatever position within any given hierarchy they find themselves. And that's basically what Howie's doing throughout the movie. He's pawning, you know, Kevin Garnett's ring for a, you know, a cross and, you know, then leveraging that against another thing. It's like the constant, leveraging you know of like wall street and hedge funds and just subprime loans whatever they can to leverage against itself to keep the you know to keep their numbers keep the boat going up. what's that to keep the boat afloat yeah i mean it's 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 very much insane and i think that I, that's just a, another thing about this movie that i think is 
so fantastic is when they the the setting of it builds in the entire Celtics playoff run, which I think is like almost insanely genius about the movie is that it was able to one they got Kevin Garnett to do the movie, and then two he's pretty good in it, and he you know he has the whole using the the gem as like his motivation his throughout or, the yeah, movie, yeah. which is it's fantastic. It speaks to what like the practical. Uh, effects of like an enchanted charmed item are you know like they they do have a magic but the magic is that uh you know if they are presented to someone in such a way that they can believe it has power what that will give them more than anything is will it will give them uh purpose to their actions it will it will provide that uh that compass that gives you the will and the energy to like push in a direction motivation and and that is and like that is magical because you can talk all day about you know why you should want to do x y or z like but the the, uh amount of effort you put into it is never going to be rationally come to you're not you are Mm -hmm. not doing a cost-benefit analysis to know how much effort to put into any given goal the effort is coming from somewhere deeper and unexamined and mm-hmm. that really can only that 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 reaches beyond rationality, and like it has to incorporate well, some sort of like enchanted narrative, some transcendent idea that can reflect onto you and allow you to push through and beyond your human doubts and frailty. It, it's because um, we can't quantify um, effort and yeah. motivation and will exactly. And so yeah, so these these physical attributes already belonged to Kevin Garnett, but once once he had this this physical item to touch that looked amazing and inspired him then suddenly it's it's this uncut gem that's doing all the magic and yeah, doing all just, the deeds it just cuts through uh everything else and then mm-hmm. yeah how he gets to do it too like he he at the the best scene in the movie the scene that became um, launched a thousand memes uh in when they're talking in the in the uh office and yeah. he talks himself into Blowing up the deal he had to, to make everything square and just going off to bet all of the money he finally got <laughs> uh, on this on this insane uh, 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 bet wager and mm-hmm. and you know it's the same it's the same uh, object like that as the basis for this narrative even if he doesn't yeah. necessarily view it the same way Garnett does. Yep, he it, he he's, he was a believer too. Yeah, exactly. It inspired him. Well, I mean, when he's in the shop and he brings the gem over and he's like showing Kevin the like the Garnett the like the little video of how he got it, you could like see he knew what he was doing. He could see Kevin's his his eyes kind of like becoming enchanted by the you know by this this stone. And you know, I think that's when he was like this. It's the six way parlay, like these just incredible bets that he makes. And I, I think the first one he makes that gets pulled because is. Uh, but his brother loan or the, you know, they call him up and cancel it off because they want money. And he ends up, would have, you know, would have won. And that's the thing too, is that he, it's like a, he wins even when he can't win. That makes sense. He, yeah, you know, he, he has this ability to somehow have a victory out of like nothing. And then even mm-hmm. then he's, he still can't actually win. Like nothing, there is no winning for him. Like the, the there is no victory that can ever be satisfied the next one yeah yeah and the uh the yeah there's there's so many um pieces to that so, uh, oh good were you gonna say something andre no i, I was just thinking the um <clears throat> the illusion you were making to, or the argument you were making about um how people how we're all just improvising and flailing around and i often say that to people that come into my comments is that when you're an adult you're you don't know you, you don't magically become an adult and know everything and know what you're doing when you're an adult it's just you're you're still just that child flailing around with a little more knowledge and a lot more responsibility yeah you know we 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 don't know what we're doing absolutely not yeah and i i think that always that argument of um doing everything you can to get to the next quarter to keep your own position 
I think that also speaks a lot to our last conversation about Brazil, how those automatons were just going through everything, doing everything they can to stay afloat. The boss panicking about keeping his position, no responsibility coming on him that he wasn't prepared for. I don't know. It was just uh, a quick aside. Well, the other thing I was going to mention about the movie, aside from just the, you know, the sheer madness of it, what I think is also so crazy is that he, the money that is owed within this is like to his own family. And some of the, like one of my favorite, there's lots of great scenes in this movie. One of my favorites is when he's at like the Passover Seder and he, you know, his, they're, they're having their little cigar break. And the, you know, the person he's owes money to is, you know, across from at the Passover Seder. And you're thinking, oh, they can't possibly t- talk this, uh, this business and this problem of the money he owes them like within their family. But like, no, that mm-hmm. they still do. It's like this, the, the crushing money aspect to it. And they never say, but I, I my guess is the money he owes them was from a gambling debt, presumably. Presumably. Yeah. yeah, yeah maybe given he his, yeah. The other thing I could have thought is maybe he had borrowed money for him to use towards his shop or something, but given I mean, that's gambling. possible too. Yeah. Or maybe he like bought a bunch of uh, energy drinks or, <laughs> uh, like, uh, like supplements, some sort of deal that fell through. Yeah. His, his, uh, his, his personal water bottles that he gives to his customers. He's the only one in town who gives, uh, like, no, it's the, like the water to his, it, you know, his it's that uh, Gucci shirt he threw to his employee. That was $500. Yeah. Th- that's the thing too, is that like money really doesn't have any meaning to him in this movie. The only yeah. thing that has any meaning to him is the, you know, the gem Gamble, he the chase acquired. Well, yeah, I guess that too. But I was thinking like the gem seems to have value to him, but maybe it's only just like a means to an end where he. I mean, yeah, he wants to get he wants to get rid of it. He wants to get uh, somebody to pay him for it. But yeah, the money itself is just fuel for the churn and the the up and down is like what the what the point is. Like it is the it's the high and the low that forms the necessary counterpoint to the high. Uh, also, there's the fact that for problem gamblers, uh, like in their brains, it gets to a point where the sensation of almost losing, almost winning a bet is essentially the same as winning one. So like to lose and to win is the same high. So like that's it. Like that's, that's what he uh, cares about. And yeah, like a thing like that inevitably will be will lead to some sort of horrible destruction. And uh, Howie, instead of allowing the fates to take him, uh, seizes his destiny in his hand, and like a kabbalistic wizard, uh, like divines the the true name of God out of basketball statistics, uh, and is able to like essentially phase shift out of reality. Like like a uh, like a transdimensional uh, wizard or something. I mean, he hits on both the six. The, I think the first bet that got canceled was like a six hundred thousand dollar bet he would have won, and then the one he wins at the end, he I think is two hundred some thousand. He drops on and it makes one point. Yeah, one point five million. million. So like it's yeah. it's just that like the stakes get higher. But no, I love that. I love how when he's finally watching the game at the end and. Uh, the first part of the of the bet was the tip off going to Boston, and they go and they do it, and he's like, "Yes," he's like, "Oh, I really would have been fucked if that hadn't happened." Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's like yeah. a literal coin flip to start the whole thing off. Yeah, it's like going to the casino and dropping like on red or like red or black. It's like this is yeah. this is my only chance of victory, and yeah. But like, you got to do things like that because boils down to not any kind of rational analysis, but like, am I favored? Am I favored of God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you find out only through, through the, the actual telling that through, you're not you're never going to be able to figure it out just on the sideline. And he, he doesn't ever like, as I mean, they obviously play on him being a Jewish seller and they have the Passover scene and his family and such. And they, you know, they're talking about the, you know, there's like the, the Jewish gossip of, you know, they're going on, they're at the uh, their their daughter's uh, play or whatever at the at the school, which is also another amazing turn of events. But the you know like there's the gossip around whether he's uh, they're they're not going to go on their trip you know to go on something, which means that they're you know they might be divorced or something. And it, it's like the 
the, the like the Jewish aspect to it, I feel like, of course, is playing in by the uh, you know the the Safdie brothers kind of inserting that. But I feel like I, I think I saw that they they wrote this movie for Adam Sandler for like five or six years even before it came out or even was filmed, and they wanted him to do it. And he finally agreed, I think, after he saw their their first movie, which now I'm like, you know what it's called? Jabberwocky. No, that's the first one. The No, I think it was Good Time, <laughs> maybe, okay. which I haven't seen. Yeah. Good Time and... is good. I actually, I, I, I didn't really like Good Time the first time I saw it. I was like, yeah, eh. uh, because like the characters are very dumb in a way that I found like just annoying, you know, but that's just my problem. Uh but then I watched Uncut Gems and I was like, that was really great. So I went back and I, I rewatched uh uh Good Time and, and it I it's definitely very good and, and even more than this movie, it is just a hand around the throat. Like it is just escalating tension without any real br- moments to breathe like you have in this one. That's their must be their that. their bread and butter, I guess. That has I think it's yeah. Robert Pattinson is in that one. Pattinson, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even one of them is in the movie. One of the Safdie brothers. Yeah, Benny plays uh, uh, Robert Pattinson's mentally uh, handicapped younger brother. Interesting. Yeah, I should I should go back and revisit that one. I haven't. I, I like I heard mixed things, and then I thought, oh, I'll you know, if this it's worth movie watching. So if good. you enjoy Uncut Gems, it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, yeah. This is the only on this is the only um, Safdie brothers film I've seen. But I think. Yeah, I would I would recommend stuff. Good Time. I don't. Do they have any other full length? They do. I think, I think they had their, their. I think there was one other movie that is their first film, but I haven't seen that one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the the this this movie again is another like aspect to it. I mean, we kind of talked about like the like the backdrop of you know sort of like the un the capitalists capitalism sort of uh, just being this unstable system, but the the thing too as part of his profession of you know he brings in the gem and it comes in like a cooler of like fish because they're obviously you know trying to skirt customs or whatever it is that they're doing presumably everything about his business is like a probably like blood diamond conflict diamond you know scams and whatever because given everything else we know about him i can't imagine he's like this ethical ethical dude well kevin garnett gave him that little speech asked him how much did you pay for this right and then he realized he made significantly he made what double what he paid for it just on selling it yeah then he bought it from this um directly from these miners and then but but at the same time kevin garnett's you know playing a role in the system of exploitation i don't know if there's any like do-gooders that you would necessarily take sides with in that argument no, and then you, and you also have like the very opening shot before you get to see, you know, how he's like uh, Colin is the like the exploitation of the miners actually mining and like the one guy's like brutally injured, his legs like destroyed and they're, you know, digging through to find his gem and you see the, you know, uh, I think even how, how he in, it, in the in the movie later to Kevin Garnett says something how like they kind of control their. I don't remember the exact line he says. It was something how like the people who are the miners, they're actually like kind of control it because I think Kevin Garnett's like sees that it's exploitation in some sense. And you just see the, uh, the exploitation tree. Like you've everything along the way is someone being exploited by someone else. And that, and that's, yeah, it sets you up to know the world you're in, which is one that is totally amoral. You know, there, there's nobody in this movie who's acting, from anything other than their most basic uh, selfish urges, mm-hmm. and that that's that's the world that we've created, and that that's the world that we are trapped in. And you know, in such a world, like what is the rational decision? You know, like it is to follow yourself, follow your desires to oblivion, and just try to like put the pedal to the metal. You know, like the only alternative is to step away. And to like detach yourself, but that is incredibly difficult uh, and uh, unremunerative in any of the ways that we've become acculturated to expect in our lives. And if you and so yeah, that's why he's. I think I call it, think of him as a mystic because he's trapped in the same self-destructive net that we all are. The same, like, just constantly billiard billiard balls of selfishness knocking against each other that we're mm-hmm. 
uh, we're trapped within, that you know the only way out of such a situation uh, is to uh, is to focus your will and attention to the task of uh, ultimate victory, transcendent success, as opposed to uh, the rest of us who just move from grind, uh, yeah, grind to mm-hmm. sustain ourselves with no long term goal. Uh, uh, other than an expectation of eventual uh, immiseration that kind of robs us of any of our enjoyment, even as we're slogging through life. So would would you say that's um, like essentially like his, his chase and his reward are essentially a one for one for say um like a crypto bro chasing that uh crypto coin or um i don't know an alcoholic chasing a drink or a ceo making another big bonus is is it all is it all just chasing that that uh that spark of spark of whatever goes off in our brain when we achieve something great is is it all just the same it's it's a, it's the pursuit like and what marks how he is different and why he's worth rooting for why he's worth being a protagonist even though as you point out in every other respect he is the kind of character that in another movie would be kind of a pathetic uh, secondary figure mm-hmm. that would be in contrast to our hero <clears throat> uh, but what makes him even with that heroic is that he's not just going to pursue this thing uh, and he is going to close the loop, you know, he is going to exit on his own terms. And that's how I think is exemplified in the film by how the very beginning of it is uh, those, this tour of like a, a, it it, it looks like caverns, you know, sort of tunnels Mm -hmm. through reality. And then it becomes the colon. And then at the end of the film, after how he's been shot, the camera goes into the bullet hole and you return to that, tunnel system that universe the universe exactly yeah. like it's it's introducing you to the entire universe and then and then giving you this peephole into the mind of one facet within it one consciousness mm-hmm. within it uh who is able to spend his last time on earth uh building this this bridge you know to uh mm-hmm. back to transcendence because that's the moment he goes out on is told transcendence of his life. Mm-hmm. And he I might mean, he even did die with a smile on his face for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I mean, he, he went like, like you were saying is like the same high of, if you win your bet or you almost win your bet, like he still, he got that moment of ecstasy. Yeah. Which he means he went he... to heaven. Yeah. Cause like the experience of heaven should not be understood as like chilling with God, you know, on a <laughs> right. cloud and like zipping around on a jet ski or whatever. Yeah, it is really, it's the, it is, uh, the subjective experience of like encountering, uh, God in Euphoria. the form of you, you, uh, the universe, you know, whatever the, the reunion, like uh, it, the subjective experience of reunion, you know, all, all we as modern subjects can imagine death as is, uh, extinguishment as like this, uh, this, this blackness instead of the transcendent idea that it is no it is a subjective experience of return which is euphoric and so for even if there's no and there's nothing after the second year lights go out then if that's the case then how he transcended to he went to heaven the pearly gates opened for him and he got to go to heaven because what happened after his apotheosis was whatever it feels like to return to the universe. Yeah, I really love the you mentioned the like the opening shot of going through sort of very visual sort of journey and I thought it was like a very good sort of parallel of I mean you you're looking at it as like the gem but I think it's like the tunnel of you know just uh of life I think is like a even better read on it. I like that. Yeah, and the other What um, what what's the significance of um his his cousin getting shot? at the end if, oh. if the story was how we transcending to heaven in his moment of euphoria then what was the significance of his um his brother-in-law his cousin, yeah brother-in-law dying uh i mean he if was any. 
I mean, he's not part of the, I mean, he is very specifically not Jewish. They make a point to point that out. He's, he's Armenian and oh. he has the thing where his dad makes fun of him at the Passover because he, yeah. he says, he came and he said, okay, happy yeah. Passover. So, you yeah. know, he's a, he's a goy and you know, what are goys for? Come on. He has to, to, he has to yeah, he has to, uh, he doesn't get to, uh, to he, he doesn't transcend. He's not chosen. To, yeah. He's not chosen, yeah. folks. That's all there <laughs> That's is to fair. it. Right. I mean, we all got it coming, right? Yeah, I mean the 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 thing too, and, and I think what's also sort of like the before you get that like moment where it goes inside of the bullet hole, the two sort of uh, I don't know what you would call them the the the, the guys that are the money the money I'm blanking on the word you would use like the Shylocks the Shylocks yeah like they're basically they like rob his store of like his you know sort of middling diamonds that are left and it's like they are now left with sort of the the shit that that Howie left behind. It's not even. It's not like the good score. They're sort of like not even even happy about doing it. They're just like, well. No, they're get just something. pissed. Yeah, they're, they're just, they're just so want to fucking get pissed. Oh, but, but but if you remember that the they're bound to get caught because the door won't open. Right. That's right. Uh, hopefully they get that Furby necklace because that's that's definitely that where is, the money. That is. was pretty cool. I would have rocked that for sure. Yeah, that that the it's funny here in in New York they had uh, an exhibit at the museum of like uh, iconic symbols from movies and they actually have the Furby uh, the necklace on display which I Hell think yeah. is is pretty uh, is pretty dope. Uh, but yeah, the the uh, the the other thing is that you you mentioned sort of like the like the like the Jewish and not Jewish is every other character I guess the only other non Jewish character is to, or that's pro, that's prominent in it is. Howie's sort of mistress throughout the movie, and I, I feel like her character and is Kevin uh, Garnett. Yeah, those. Are I, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Of course, Kevin Garnett too. And I guess the other people who work at his store are presumably Jewish, like the one dude who ends up leaving because he's tired of tired of his shit. I guess maybe he's like the one guy actually who gets out from under uh, Howie's sort of uh, bullshit. And I guess also Demaney, the Lakeith Stanfield mm-hmm. too. It's the the other. But I guess I guess my uh, my train of thought is is uh, shattered because there are a bunch of of uh yeah. non-jews are working you out ruined, there. you ruined the entire podcast what are you doing <laughs> yeah it's just cut it here but the the, the <laughs> uh the like the the other thing too is sort of that level of like all the people exploiting each other is you have Demaney sort of uh you know selling illegal you know fake watches out of his store like there's even below sort of howie's level of you know just nonsense of grifting and selling and pawning there's still people under him that are you know using the system to try and gain something and then we didn't even mention the fact that the weekend is in this movie too which i think is also pretty awesome and the the you know before he was quite as uh as he is big as he is now i think it's i, I don't know i don't know what to make of that aspect other than just kind of it's just a cool plot point i don't know if you if there's anything beyond that i that you would say beyond that of uh the weekend i guess I mean, to... part of it i think it, it rep it's it shows it's part of the the noose tightening around howie's neck uh is not just money you know it's not just a family history of colorectal cancer it's uh the culture you know it's it's that he is uh, aging he's getting he's old he's getting old and there is and the culture that you know we are all taught is the only culture of vitality is youth culture and he's he feels you know he's slowly getting uh, getting the hook from being able to engage with young people, the nubiles that keep uh, someone uh, who is not willing to accept their own uh, mortality uh, feeling young, vampiric. His high, yeah, his high is high, but his low is his wife is leaving him, his mistress is cheating on him, he's lost all this money, nothing's working out. Which you could say, like, did she really cheat on him? Kind of, I guess. But his, like, addiction to her, like, he has addictions to everything in this movie. His gambling, you know, sort of the the needing to just move forward. He seems to also have addiction to her. Like, he has that little creepy prank where he's, like, in the closet texting her while she's on the phone, you know, on the, on the mm-hmm. couch. And he clearly has this, uh, a, you know, I guess also, like, narcissism and having to lie about everything. Everything he tells his wife is just you know, a compounding lie. I don't, you said earlier, Andre, mm-hmm. that he sort of like, he has like a relationship with his kids, but I feel like the only one he really 
has any connection to his son. The older son who like likes basketball and they're watching the game together. Whereas the rest of that, like his his older daughter, like hates his guts. I mean, it's pretty clear that she just yeah. she just does I not mean, like but, him. But you can see he you can see that he loves her. You know, he you can see yeah. that he would he would like to have a relationship with her. True. There's that scene in the kitchen where he's like trying to initiate conversation, but she's not having it. So I mean that just that just compounds on his own failures. Yeah. Yeah, because like he wants both. He wants the mm-hmm. the young hot lady and the young hot culture, and he wants family stability and and you know all that. And adulthood is making a choice, and he wants to like we all do uh, postpone well, it having to, to make it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're like me, you can be cool and a dad at the same time. We all, we're all trying, Andres. We're all, uh, <laughs> we're all, we're all uh, in that aging boat. But the uh, there, there was another scene that I was trying to remember that was also, yeah. I mean, the, the and then the other, the other like added in too is he also brings in like his father-in-law. Was it is his father-in-law at the uh, yeah. auction to like oh, bid up dad. his dad, right? To to bid up the items and like he then mm-hmm. owes his his father money like oh i'm gonna uh, you know t- they all seem to know he I, I will sometimes feel like he thinks it's like a secret to his family like what he does and what he what's going on but it seems like it's it's not a secret they all know except maybe his kids kind of don't really understand his you know the, the 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 son seeing like the mistress at the uh or getting told that his his dad is a mistress but the bidding up at the at the auction too like his it's I, I, it's it's like uh, you know you. Do you think your... his dad was? Yeah. Do you think his dad was surprised or not about being? I don't think he do was. That? I'm not sure. He made it seem like he was a little bit like taken aback, but at the same time, I don't. I can't imagine. I don't. know, Maybe his dad doesn't know because at the at the passive crusader too, it seemed like he was telling his dad like, "Oh, I got this gem, and I'm gonna you know have a big, big score out oh, of yeah. it." And you yeah. know he, he he's probably aware to some degree, but like most people, is unable to really confront their family member for it yeah yeah not to mention everyone usually everyone usually has an inkling about a family member's addiction or abusive behavior he also probably just wants the father probably just wants to kind of look past it and just kind of like pretend it's not there you know if i don't Mm -hmm. i don't know my son is like a gambling addict and has a mistress and all these things like i can just pretend that we're we're good we're good jews i mean we keep all that information away from our loved ones right guys they, they don't oh, absolutely! No Compartmentalized to the end. <laughs> I, I, I just there, there's so many like awesome scenes, and one other thing that I saw uh, in an interview with the Safdie brothers that they said is that in this movie there was no like floor direction for like where people should stand within the each scene. They just basically left the actors to just kind of move throughout Mill it around. Which wow, which I think is it. See, I'm not like I don't know that much about filmmaking, but it seemed pretty uncommon for that to be the case. And it led like every scene, like when he's at the high school and they're running down the like the hallway away from, you know, the loach, the 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 people who are just trying to take him mm-hmm. from in the trunk. Every aspect is chaos. There's no there's no like set movement, which I think also speaks to just the nature of, you know, capitalism and just everything. There is no like structure. The movie kind of has a structure in a sense, but I don't know if necessarily that's like a, you know, a three act structure like you might see in a, you know, in some movies. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I feel like they just kind of broke, broke the rules because there are broke no mold rules. a little bit. No, I love the film. I mean, I, it, it was manic from start to end. I, I don't, I don't know if I can compare it one to one to any other film I've seen. Yeah. I mean, it really, um, it doesn't have any movies that I can think of that really fit to me. Maybe you said Matt, his, his movie before this might say, it sounds like it's similar in the, like, the yeah, it, it is. Like I said, though, even, even more intense, even, even less relenting. I already have high blood pressure. This is going to make it worse to see that. I feel like that's, yeah, watch this. out. Yeah. The, even this movie, I felt like uncomfortable, which I think also is like speaks to how good, good it is. And I, I, I don't know. I, there's a couple other movies I might say that Adam Sandler, is better in, but this might be his like top tier. You know, I don't try. To what's that? Of... What's that Adam Sandler movie where he's that um, dopey son of like seven older sisters or something? Uh, Punch Drunk Love. Yes, yeah, that was he's, he's quite good at that too. But it's like a different kind of. Uh, he doesn't have like that manic. It's a yeah. It's a 
kind of the opposite of this movie. Yeah, different, he's just different... a downtrodden guy. Yeah, I mean that that movie has some scenes though where it's it's a really <clears throat> intent impressive ratcheting tension, uh, like the the scene where he's in his office with all of his novelty plungers and he's trying to do business, and then his sister keeps showing up to try to set him up, and he's also getting the phone call from the uh, from the phone sex operators trying to extort him. And there's the John Bryan soundtrack in the background, just sort of throbbing. It's incredibly anxiety-inducing. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I that might just be his. Uh, that's like his happy play. <laughs> he gets to like this level where he can just. I mean, I only uh, only every twenty-five years though. Everything else is him in sweatpants at like a a, a resort, <laughs> where like the he's made a deal where he's only going to have to stand up two times. <laughs> right. Or I guess yeah, the only other one I can think of is like the uh, what's the how ha- the Halloween one? Um, oh God, Hubie Halloween. Hubie Halloween. Where oh, I guess he's in a I guess in that movie he's like on a bicycle or like inside too. Maybe not in the sweatpants in that one. He he broke his contract. He does an for- accent in that one, which is more effort than he puts into most of them nowadays. Where it's just him going what with like Jennifer Aniston standing there looking <laughs> mad at him. Well, his accent and the, the his voice in uh, in Uncut Gems, I feel like it like. He's doing kind of a voice. He's doing kind mm-hmm. of an SNL style uh, voice <clears throat> in it. It's true. It's kind of like the like the Jewish guy from Long Island. You know, uh, I guess presumably that's where he. Li- I guess I don't say it's Jersey or Long Island. I don't know. He. Li- I think he lives on Long Island. Yeah, it seems like the seems like the type of that. The um, the other. I don't know. There's the the other thing. The the other thing that I had forgotten about is. Demaney also like kills his fish too. Like he he gets oh yeah every single person in this movie from his wife, you know, to even like his fight with his girlfriend. Everyone is sort of like there's no one that doesn't hate him at some point in this movie. Or I remember who he's what voice I remember because yes he is doing a voice in this movie and it's not one of his other SNL characters like Hubie Halloween is just Cajun guy <laughs> yeah uh, but one of his like NYU buddies who he decided to just give a career uh, and is in all of his comedies uh, is named Peter Dante. Uh, and he has this sort of dumb guy voice. He's in Waterboy and uh, little Nicky and a number of other ones. Yeah. And, and it does feel in this movie when I saw the first time I was thinking, Oh, he's doing that. He's doing, he's doing an impression of uh, one of his whack pack. Okay. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I know, you're I know what you're talking about. He's also in. Uh, he's in Big Daddy too. I think he's in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Like every movie, probably at this point. Like you said, he's just he gets a little bit part yeah. in all his movies. Those guys. I hope they tithe some portion of their yearly salaries to uh, whoever at the NYU bursar's office decides who you room with, <laughs> because those guys have Hollywood careers explicitly for their entire lives. Because they because met of him. Adam Sandler yeah. at college and became friends. And even though none of them have any talent for anything, he has kept them in Clover for fucking but, three I years mean, now. That's the entire purpose of college, right? Is to network yeah, gets, and meet get people. Get some homeboys. Yeah, but it I mean, doesn't matter. Ideally, though, it's supposed to be like you know re- mutually affirming and like you get you 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 gain from the relationships and like you were able yeah. to pool talents. Here he's yeah. just a comet like trailing debris. <laughs> for the, but he's been successful enough it's it doesn't matter. He's got yeah. that deal with Compared Netflix now. and well, even I before mean, that they were like padding the uh they were padding the hell out of those uh uh budgets for less so, like Jack and Jill was supposed to was like cost like eighty million dollars or something. So there, what? Yeah, exactly. So like he was able to do a nice bit of uh, money laundering to just pay his friends to hang out. It's 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 like a perfect uh, comparison to like his buddies in the movie uh, Billy Madison, where he like hangs out. With yes, them at the exactly. Pool. It's literally holy shit. Movie. It is like that. It's, he has uh, his own it? guys uh, like that. Well, what's the who was it? I can't remember the other one. One Norm of them McDonald, is Norm Down. The I other one I can't remember. Oh fuck! I don't think he was ever early in anything else. No, but it's literally like those are the guys that are they're like watching ketchups like fall down a window. Rob Schneider. Uh, was he, I don't think he was in. Not in uh, Little Big Daddy. Or I mean, sorry, he's no, not Billy, Billy Madison. Billy Madison. Yeah, it's that's it, literally that's that's crazy that he like increases the prices of the movies to give these guys like 
So the guy could buy like a new jet ski or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, I need a new jet ski. So add, add, a, add a couple bits onto my. I mean, he didn't. Uh, Adam Sandler didn't like from like college until when he was on SNL wasn't very long. Like, I feel like he got. I don't know what happened in between there. What he was, I guess it was stand up, I presume, or he was, was he doing stand up. Yeah. Improv, yeah, was, I'm he guessing. Did, he did stand up. So, yeah, he was a stand up for a bit, but he, he got SNL pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, that, I always think, I was telling someone recently is I think of SNL like the, that was when I was, you know, like 15, 16 when that's when he was on. And I always like think of that as like the golden era for me, just because I guess the age I was at, that's the, the goofy ass humor that I liked. Him. Oh yeah, yeah. SNL. Your SNL will always be the one when you started watching it. Yeah, like thirteen, fourteen, like the yeah. uh, Chris Farley, David Spade, and yep. I know Andre. Do you or Matt? Do you have any other any other thoughts on the on uncut gems that we didn't get to? Yeah, or... what one eight hundred bets off? Uh, <laughs> it'll help you, so you don't end up getting shot in a pawn shop. Yeah, unless that's what you really, really want. Yeah. But in which you, case, you... God willing. Well, it's a good thing you they really didn't have like stop. the uh, app betting when he was uh, in this movie. You would have been just parlaying on his phone. I guess it was like 2012. I mean, he's lucky, also lucky that he uh, didn't died before NFTs. Imagine how much he would have lost on that. Oh, yeah, he's a real lucky guy. That dead guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the yeah the uh, the he could have uh, traded. He would have been going to like the pawning his nfts to buy like another and or pawning rings to buy nfts and crypto buy and twitter yeah <laughs> weed uh weed stock or something yeah um but yeah i don't know i don't know that i have anything else to to say about it i mean the only thing i was just say it's like a sad depressed guy who just he he just he needs the high of of a score constantly throughout this movie and it's I think you said back at the beginning, Matt, it's sort of like how even up to like the capitalist who's trying to, or the CEO of some company trying to get a big bonus, like that, that high is, I think the same high that he's getting, obviously the stakes are different. He has a lot less, less to lose. If you're the CEO of, you know, Procter and Gamble, like you're not, you're still going to be a billionaire, even if you leave that job. But for, uh, for Howie, it's uh do or die. And, he dies because I wonder what this kind of behavior would look like in a post-capitalist society. Yeah, that is a good question because hey. I don't think you're going to do away with that compulsive need to structure your life around a thing that you need, you know, because it's, it's the only other thing other than uh, faith that can motivate action, as we said, and really to and deliver real satisfaction. Uh, and pleasure so i mean ideally it would be uh creatively or it would be uh constructively channeled into you know the the great uh creative endeavor of post-capitalist life when uh, you know life can be devoted to unalienated pursuits uh, which are difficult to even imagine uh in under current conditions but I don't think it would go completely, but it would certainly, I think, be more... Uh, it would manifest differently, less Right, and even if it became pathological, like I think its pathology would be less socially disruptive mm-hmm. than currently, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're not... You're, you're like, the destructive forces of your actions are far less destructive if, you know, the people around you have... And, and hopefully there would be fewer people who are, like, driven to real annihilation by it, because, you know we're all slaves to some some sort of relationship like that to some degree or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us are able to keep it in, in uh, into a harmonic relationship with the rest of our life. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, would be easier also to do, to incorporate yeah, without allowing if, to overcome. If everyone in your life wasn't dependent on you maintaining strict sobriety, then... yeah then everything won't be at risk. Right. Yeah, but you're you're always going to have, even under, uh, you know, this post-capitalist, socialist, communist, there's still going to be, you know, presumably there's still going to be undercurrents of people Humanity. doing things. Yeah, things you're not supposed to be doing. You know, not just like reactionary crap, but just people doing doing dumb shit. So 
people are going to want to always, yeah, be self-destructive to some degree. Yeah. Which yeah. is, yeah, which is fine. <laughs> we all, yeah, we all it's, have it's our how, own. It's, it's a necessary part of learning about yourself and encountering mm-hmm. the others. Yeah, but Zero, like you said, like you'd channel it into, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, do art or build things or, you know, would, you know. Yes, he... yeah. If you don't have to, if you don't have to spend, you know, 10 to 12 hours of your day working to ensure that you don't die of homelessness, then you're going to be able to t- pursue, you know, destructive pursuits and interests that won't lead you to maybe crave that final destruction. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of those like behaviors and, you know, things and uh, I don't want to say mental illness is the wrong word, just like depression of all these things are caused because of the conditions we are in. So that's why you said that it's like hard to comprehend if those conditions weren't here, would would you still lead you to be have these depressive thoughts or these feelings of like inadequacy and individualistic pursuits that probably wouldn't be the same? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think I have any... uh, I got nothing left on this. Um, but yeah, just as like an aside to the movie, it was like very successful movie as far as, you know, an A24 movie with a $20 million budget made 50 million. I guess he couldn't pad his, uh, his buddies in this movie. He couldn't slide. Yeah. Them. No, uh, no added pieces. No but yeah, it's, we really could have used a cut to Rob Schneider though, going, you can do it. Right. I know that's, that's back. what I was waiting for. I yeah, was so it, disappointed. They couldn't even have Rob Schneider like in the background of like one of the scenes of uh you know at the at the at the uh I don't know at the school event. Yeah, he's, he's just like sitting sitting sit, sit in one of the seats. Yeah, he's the director of the uh of the movie. But yeah, so that's uh yeah I, I I have a different perspective on it being the sort of this mystic figure that I hadn't uh, considered before, and I guess it kind of again fits that opening scene and sort of final scene of this movie, kind of like ties it on a little. Wraps a little bow around it. Yeah. yeah thanks else for 100? coming right out of the gate. Thanks for coming right out of the gate with something smart. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm here for. That's that's about all I got. Yeah. I don't I don't have anything else, but uh Andre and Matt, thank you both for chatting about Uncut Gems. It was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Yep. And uh anyone out there, you know, can listen to the left of the projector wherever podcasts are available. And Andre, you as well, you're Left Without Borders on what? TikTok and YouTube and YouTube. iTunes. Yep. iTunes. That's what I meant. And uh, Chapo is available on all the uh, the same all place. The, all the all the apps that everyone apps on. Oh, my new podcast, Pod Save America, is just coming out. <laughs> for, uh, that, that's that's I, like, I, I lo- what I love about that name is that it uh, makes sense and it's a reference to a real phrase that people have ever used. <laughs> God, never so stop bad. annoying me. No one has ever said "God save America." That's not a fucking phrase. God say, bless America. Say... God save the Queen. Yeah, I was gonna say "God save the Queen" is the first thing that comes to mind. So they should have called, called it "Pod saves the Queen." I mean, what well, the Listen. funny thing is is that they have a British version now, and it's called that's "Pod correct. save the UK." <sighs> they had such that's a good have, They cannot do it. They cannot sink the basket. It's insane. Oh we, man, I didn't realize I didn't realize it had a British version. That's another podcast. Yeah, it was just all right. If you're worse. ever gonna get this, this is when you're gonna get it. And nope, is that usually it's like the we steal the ideas from like the British shit and then make our own version. In this case, they're like we're gonna do it the other way around this time. Well, you know, just like how uh, the Brits have their own version of The Office after it was it debuted in America. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah it's Michael Scott. That's a it's a different take. I prefer listen, the original American version, but you know, it's got I, its arms. I, listen, I was gonna say I actually do prefer the American version of The Office. The Ricky Gervais version American. is pretty. Uh... I will say this though. I mean, it, it, the show becomes like a total uh, American, uh, like workerist Stockholm syndrome thing by in its like second half. But in the first half of The Office. Uh, I remember there were a lot of people who said, oh, it's not as mean and, and, and uh, nasty as the British version. It's not as depressing. It, it requires itself to be more, you know, wholesome and, and more uh, uh, positive. But I think that Michael Scott is like a more of a dictatorial figure than David Brent. Like David Brent would like, you know, be embarrassing and insinuate himself in his uh 
employees' lives, but he also understood that there was a boundary he wasn't allowed to mm-hmm. cross. Whereas Michael Scott was just like threatened yeah. to fire people if they wouldn't weren't his friend and if they would, like <laughs> yeah. and, like show up at their houses and stuff. Yeah. And I guess, you know, part of that is just Americans don't even register that as worse, I guess. It's just taken for granted. It's just normal. Yeah, that, power that's, over you. I think that's why it almost like during like the lockdown early, it was like one of the most popular shows on, on TV. Yeah, I guess people, people like, this is what I'm missing right now. Yeah, they, they have Stockholm Syndrome, too, of just like, oh, I need to go to work so I can be abused by my boss and make him think he's my friend and have a pizza party and shit, but... It was a pleasure to talk to you, man. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for coming on in.